Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Always So Logical. My name is Ty, and I'm your host. And this is a podcast where, once again, I take a moment to talk about things from life, whether that be society or culture, from a logical perspective. With logical simply meaning uh, consistently logical, truthful, practical, and rooted in Christ. Now, last week I talked about the notion of Christian nationalism and how that does not align with Scripture nor the character of God. Um, I would like to think that many believers understand this, but sadly there's a fairly large segment of claimants who seem to believe um, that God approves of pride. And to argue that it's not pride, in my opinion, is to purposely blind oneself to it and forget the fact that Jesus promised whoever exalts himself shall be humbled and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Well, for today's episode, I want to continue exploring Paul's words in Galatians 3, uh, which stated, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So last week I stated how I saw three areas of life that Paul focuses on. Um, three natural distinctions where pride can creep in, and focused on nationality. This week, I want to discuss the area of status, but also how nationality has overlapped with it. So, without further ado, let's get to it after a quick break. talk about it i want to briefly explain why i say status and not slavery as paul mentioned now i'm saying status because slavery is only a piece of the overall picture of paul's point and was his focus simply because of his audience's familiarity with it now truthfully in the grand scheme of things we're all slaves to something whether we choose to admit it or not i mean we're all under the control of something or someone else but as it relates to the common understanding of the term To be a slave was to be legally owned as property by another person. Now, in this country, and in many modern nations, slavery is a relic of the past, but the mentality behind it still lives on and can be seen in how we view a person's status. Still, slavery is something we'll discuss because it's important for us to understand as it relates to people, God, Scripture, and the church. Now, I want to be honest and upfront and say that as a descendant of slaves in America, um, the idea of slavery as it relates to Scripture has always been something that caused a great deal of cognitive dissonance for me. I mean, the obvious question for me was always, why, why didn't God in Scripture outright abolish and forbid it? Furthermore, in some places, why does Scripture seem to approve of it? I mean, the book of Philemon was a book that I constantly struggle with and still do to some degree. And I pondered the question for much of my life. And this created a lot of distrust in me as it related to God until he helped me to see beyond my confusion and see things a little clearer. 
He helped me to see that the idea of slavery, as I understood it, was a witness of the wickedness of humanity and the failure of the church. Yes, it was a failure of the church. And the reason I say that is because the church failed to heed a lesson that God tried teaching since creating the nation of Israel. Now, slavery wasn't something new, and it was ubiquitous among the nations of the world at that time. I mean, it was a very harsh institution. Again, slaves weren't um, considered free people. They were property since they were owned by someone else. They had no freedom or legal rights, and many had no path to freedom being considered slaves their entire lives. People usually became slaves due to war, but they would also sometimes be forced into slavery due to financial or criminal reasons. Now, the Israelites knew the harshness of slavery, having been enslaved after Joseph and the Pharaoh of his time had died. Now, for generations, they served the Egyptians and and were treated badly. Sure, some of them had it easier than others, but As a whole, they had no freedom nor rights. You'd think that when delivered from slavery, they would do all they could to ensure they had nothing to do with it ever again. But we find God actually giving them commands as it related to slavery. And these commands really changed the idea of slavery for his people. Now, one of the important lessons of God to Israel regarding slavery is that while their fellow Israelites could become slaves due to being poor, having debts, or being criminals, how you treated slaves was important. Now, in Leviticus, God commanded the Israelites to not treat Hebrew slaves harshly and sets a limit on how long they could be held as slaves. He also gives commands that while allowing strong discipline for non-Hebrew slaves, um, these would allow slave masters to be punished for extremely harsh treatment. Um, that led to death or even freedom for slaves who were disabled due to abuse. Now, slaves could also take part in national celebrations, religious celebrations, so long as the males were circumcised. And slaves were also subject to the Sabbath, meaning they could also have rest and couldn't be worked to death. In other words, slaves in Israel had rights and had to be treated fairly. Now, they were not to be abused nor treated inhumanely, because the Israelites had been slaves themselves in Egypt. This is something that God reminded Israel of constantly when it came to how they were to treat their slaves, as well as how they were to treat foreigners who lived among them, but who were not slaves. So in other words, you knew what it was like. So don't do unto others what had been done to you. (laughs) I mean, does that sound familiar? Now, fast forward to the New Testament, and you'll find these lessons taken even further with the book of Philemon, a perfect example. Now, Philemon was the owner of a slave named Onesimus, who Paul was sending back as he had apparently run away. Now, Paul was asking Philemon to welcome Onesimus back with love since he had led both into Christ. And even though it's not specifically stated in the letter, I'm sure Paul advised Onesimus to serve Philemon as though he were serving Christ, just as he wrote to the Ephesians. So, in essence, Paul was teaching them that their earthly condition did not overrule their spiritual condition, which made them both fellow heirs with Christ, even though their earthly relationship made them unequal. Now, this spiritual relationship should make their earthly service such that they live and serve together as brothers, seeking the welfare and good of each other. Now, think about it. 
No matter the earthly label we carry, if we walk with the true heart of Christ, we are all to serve while seeking the best for each other, whether we can be called slave or master or employee or employer. And if we were to carry this forward to its logical conclusion, this same principle applies to every relationship between believers, no matter the circumstance. That was what God had been trying to teach. That he wasn't trying to change the world while we are in it, but that he was trying to change us while we are in the world. He didn't outlaw slavery because our rebellious nature and natural weakness in wanting to be like everyone else would only lead us to do the same or worse. Teaching and helping us to view ourselves and our relationship to others in the light of our belonging to him was supposed to help us choose to turn away from the slavery of the world on our own will, of our own volition, so that we can stand as an example in a fallen world. Sadly, even with his commandments, the blood, and the Holy Spirit, we still chose to follow the example of the world and take it even further. Now, before I get into that discussion, let's take a quick break and pick that up on the other side. What amazes me is that even with all that we were given by God, we chose to ignore both his will and his word with regard to slavery. Now, claimants of Christ were not just active participants and proponents of it, but also chose to distort scripture and use pseudoscience to be, to be apologists for it. Now, me saying this doesn't mean I'm discounting all those believers who actively fought against slavery, but as a body, we can't dismiss the role of the church as it relates to slavery. I can't excuse myself for tripping and kicking you with my foot simply because I helped you up with my hand. And just as Paul taught, we can't say we're in Christ and separate, but join his body to sin. So as a whole, we have to admit this failing while also working to rid ourselves of the mindset that played such a huge role in it. Why? Why do we still need to address slavery after its abolishment so many years ago? And why is it something we're responsible for, even though very few of us were involved with it? Well, it's because the mindset that came from it is still alive and well. And as scripture says, a little leaven corrupts the entire batch. Now, what mindset might you ask? Well, many of those who argued for the acceptance of slavery in scripture would often point to the story of Noah and his son Ham, which is written in Genesis 9. Now, this is the first time the idea of one group serving another was introduced. In their telling of the story, Ham commits a great offense against his father, Noah, and ends up being punished by a curse which would forever condemn him to be a slave to his brothers. And not just him, but his descendants after him. The reason why this version of the story was so important was because the descendants of Ham were the peoples of Cush, Mizraim, and Put, or historically the people of Africa. Uh, we're talking about uh, people like the people from ancient Nubia um, who were descended from Cush or the Egyptians uh, who were descended from Mizraim and the people of Ethiopia and Somalia who were descended from Put. In other words, the cursed descendants of Ham 
were all what we now call black. The problem with this, though, was it distorted what Scripture actually records. Let me read it in context. From Genesis 9, starting at verse 18, it says, The sons of Noah who came out of the boat with their father were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And in parentheses, it says, Ham is the father of Canaan. From these three sons of Noah came all the people who now populate the earth. After the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground, and he planted a vineyard. One day he drank some wine he had made, and he became drunk and lay naked inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. Then Shem and Japheth took a robe, held it over their shoulders, and backed into the tent to cover their father. As they did this, they looked the other way so that they would not see him naked. When Noah woke from his stupor, he learned what Ham, his youngest son, had done. Then he cursed Canaan, the son of Ham. May Canaan be cursed. May he be the lowest of servants to his relatives. Then Noah said, May the Lord, the God of Shem, be blessed, and may Canaan be his servant. May God expand the territory of Japheth. May Japheth share the prosperity of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. Now, here you see that it was Canaan, not his brothers, nor Ham, who was cursed. Now, why, why was Canaan cursed is a mystery. But the descendants of Canaan were the Sidonites, Jebusites, Amorites, and Girgashites, um, basically people who had settled in the promised land called Canaan. So when the Israelites, who were descendants of Shem through Abraham, claimed that territory, um, the territory that was promised to Abraham by God's covenant, um, and they enslaved many of the inhabitants, it fulfilled Noah's curse. Now, what happened in Canaan had absolutely no bearing on Ham's descendants anywhere else. But humanity, and particularly many in the church, distorted the clear teaching of Scripture to justify and excuse their sinful treatment of Africans. And to make matters worse, they used this story to create a distinction that had not existed before in order to strengthen their claim by a further distortion of Scripture. Race. Now, you can go back through ancient history and you won't find many, if any, instances of race being mentioned. Specifically, you won't find it in Scripture. Sure, you'll find references to national identity, but not racial identity. And as I mentioned before, slavery and antiquity was not something new or unique to any nation. People from all supposed races were enslaved. Groups and nations would fight and defeat those nearby and make slaves of people who looked exactly like them. So if race wasn't a function of slavery, why did it all of a sudden become a major one during the African slave trade? And for an institution that had existed and was basically accepted for years, why was it necessary to use scripture and God to justify it when it came to people of Africa? Now, I don't really know, um, and I'm pretty sure it's complicated and complex, but maybe some felt that what was being done in Africa was both drastically different and therefore morally wrong. So the people and governments who were participating in it and making money from it uh, needed to find an answer to those problems. Well, remember, the countries that were the most active participants in the, active, in the African slave trade um, that would be the Portuguese, the British, the Spanish, the French, the Dutch, and the Danish. Um, 
they were also those nations who you could actually call Christian or Catholic nations um, at that time uh, because the church played such a large and central role in those governments. So it stands to reason that for those countries, there had to be some who not only questioned the practice, but also condemned it on scriptural grounds. And this is where I think pride comes in. Now think about it. Pride won't let you admit you're wrong and will make you defend yourself to the point where you argue your actions were actually right, even when you know otherwise. You'll find any way to make or prove a point in your favor and further enmesh yourself through lies, distortions, and mistruths. Pride will make you see yourself as a victim when confronted with your wrong and will cause you to look for false equivalencies to try and drag others' real or imagined sin into focus so that you can distract from yours. I mean, the ways in which the church in this country promoted, aided, abetted, and defended slavery during and after its abolishment is a perfect example of this. Um, Slave owners used false interpretations of scripture, like the story of Ham and and the book of Philemon, um, as well as any other verse that mentions slavery, uh, to convince their slaves that they were cursed by God to be slaves. From the pulpits of many, if not most Southern churches, um, came sermons that perpetuated these false interpretations and taught the supremacy of whites over blacks to their congregations, which oftentimes included slaves. Um, those who were against slavery were considered heretics bent on destroying the Christian way of life that God had established and, and upsetting the natural order of things that these Southerners espoused. And even though a war was fought over the issue, um, one fought more for political and practical reasons than altruistic ones, honestly, um, this same thinking and mindset endured and even spread through the, even though slavery was abolished. Why? Well, because of pride. Is it any wonder why things like white pride came into existence? Um, Why this kind of thinking led to the Klan and the terrorization of former slaves and their descendants? Not just in the South either. And it's no wonder why those who grew up with this mindset often mention things like Southern pride or pride of their Southern heritage. Now, I'm sure saying that will offend many who espouse such beliefs and I'll be accused of race baiting or taking scripture and history out of context, among other things. But my question would be this. If what you're proud of as someone who claims Christ was something that was an affront to scripture's commandments, should you have pride in it? If your heritage was built on the sins of slavery and of racism, is that a heritage you should want to celebrate and defend? And even if your family didn't own slaves, but fought for it in the war or ran with those groups who terrorized former slaves and their descendants afterwards, is there really a difference? Now, once slave masters introduced Christ to their slaves and they accepted him as Lord, why weren't they treated the way Israelites were commanded to treat Hebrew slaves from then on? Was it because they were somehow inferior or not even human? Even though the same passage about Noah and his sons clearly stated that all the people of the world descended from them. Are you saying God lied? Now, if not, why were they not given their freedom after seven years as commanded in Leviticus? Because the Old Testament was superseded by the new. Well, then why were they not treated as brothers in Christ in the way that Paul asked Philemon to treat Onesimus once they received Christ? 
or even treat it with love as com- as Christ commanded us to treat our enemies. I mean, is it any wonder that after they had been freed by force, former slaves and their descendants were still not treated as equals, but as criminals, vagrants, and second-class citizens? I mean, when all who believe are equal in Christ, regardless of status. What Marion Webster defines as position or rank in relation to others. Status. This is why I said slavery was a small part of a larger picture. Because how you treat what the world sees as the lowest of us indicates how much you understand and accede to the teaching of Scripture. I mean, yes, we live in a vastly different world now than what existed then and um, even what existed years after then. But the mindset that was created and the pride that was required to sustain it, I mean, it's never really gone anywhere and it's never been repented of by the church. The fact that, quote unquote, Christian nationalism has become an idea spreading through many congregations um, and the attitude that led to lynchings and domestic terrorism still being seen in 2021 only proves that lack of repentance. We as a body, all of us need to address this mindset born of pride and treat those who would espouse it as anathema. We need to treat them as though a cancer that must be vigorously fought every time it shows up and make sure that it is removed from the body. I mean, we can no longer sit quietly while Christ and scripture are dragged in as supportive of the mindset that allowed for the horror of slavery and racism to be acceptable in the church. As I said earlier, those who were once slaves and then later had the responsibility for slaves should have been the first to change the notion of slavery, especially as sons of God. And furthermore, those of us who have truly accepted Christ should understand even more that we are slaves to him and should mirror how he treats us towards those who are under our authority. Even more importantly, we must not let pride continue to cause us to remain unrepentant when the will and word of God are calling us to repentance. Again, how we treat the least of us matters to God because scripture declared in Deuteronomy, cursed is anyone who denies justice to foreigners, orphans, or widows. Zechariah said, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says, judge fairly and show mercy and kindness to one another. Do not oppress widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor, and do not scheme against each other. Your ancestors refused to listen to this message. They stubbornly turned away and put their fingers in their ears to keep from hearing. They made their hearts as hard as stone, so they could not hear the instructions or the messages that the Lord of Heaven's armies had sent them by his spirit through the earlier prophets. This is why the Lord of Heaven's armies was so angry with them. And finally, Christ himself declared, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, 
When did we ever see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me and they will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous will go into eternal life. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. So let me close by saying this. If you can only demand justice and care for the unborn, but not for the poor or the needy or those who are sick. If you can only demand compassion for those who have fallen, but whose lives you commend, but not for those whose lives are not commendable to you. If you can only be kind and faithful to those you serve or have power and authority over you, but not to those who serve you or you have the power and authority over. If you can only support the cause of those who look like you or who choose to be shaped in your image, but not for those who look or live nothing like you, but who share not only in the image of God, but who also share in the salvation of Christ, then you have missed the heart of Jesus and the ultimate meaning of scripture. You're blind to what it means when he said, we are to love God with our entire being and love our neighbor which includes every single life that was made in the image of God as ourselves. The fact of the matter is you can't love one and not the other. It's really an all or nothing proposition. And you can't cry out for justice and righteousness when you support and further injustice and unrighteousness. Now I may have said this before, but I'll say it again. I firmly believe that the people of God were always meant to be an example to the world of what God can do in the lives of those who truly love him. Whether Israel or the church, his people were meant to be a beacon of light in a dark world, a ray of hope shining in the bleakness of death, and an offering of his goodness and glory, a foretaste of the new heaven and new earth in a world of sin that's destined for the grave. Now, once again, God never promised to change the world we live in before his return, but he did send his spirit so that we would be changed in this world in order to offer hope through the gospel and to make disciples of Jesus, the Jesus of scripture, that is, and not one of our own making. We don't need to create a nation, nor do we need to distort his word to create a world of our imagination. We just need to surrender to Jesus, let go of our pride, and repent. Thanks again for listening. I hope you found something in this episode um, that will strengthen and challenge you. And if you did and haven't already, um, I hope you subscribe as well as share this podcast with whomever you may feel um, would gain some benefit from it and a little dose of clodging. Um, I also hope you'll tune in uh, to the next episode and continue on this journey with me. 
in it, I'll be dealing with the final area that Paul mentions where I feel pride creeps in, that being gender. And I also hope to touch on a few others that weren't specifically mentioned, but should be understood. Anyway, with all that being said, thanks again for tuning in, and I pray you have a good week. Take care.